0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis 16. So Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roy, for she said, Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore the well where she was was called Bir Lahai Roy, and it lies between Kadesh and Bered. This is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be faithful and wise and pleasing to you this day. Amen. As I hope you know, our theme this year at Preston Hollow is belonging. Belonging is rooted in our DNA. Our vision statement says, Trusting we belong to God, living like we belong to each other. And doesn't that just cover all the bases? Because when belonging is at our center, everything else flows forth from that place. We've spent the last few weeks reflecting on what it means to live as God's beloved. And of course, that's because we want all of you to know and all of us to live from that place where we have full trust and faith that we not only belong to God, but that we are indeed God's beloved. And that's true for everyone. And friends, there's no way that we can possibly become a people of belonging if we don't start with the one to whom we most fully belong. So this morning we begin a new series entitled The Anatomy of Belonging, Noticed, named, and known. That phrase might sound a little familiar to you if you came to one of my listening session reports in the early spring or summer. In that report, I shared a survey that I had read about done by Springtide Research, where they investigated what it meant for young people um, to belong. What they found, though, is something that applies to all of us at every age and stage. The first insight that I noticed is that the surveyors kept asking the question, where do you experience belonging? Where do you feel like you belong? Where do you feel like that happens for you? And what they found is that the answer was not a where, but a who. Of course it is. That makes good theological sense. Belonging happens in relationship. And that shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us who follow God. The starting point for our faith is that trust that we belong to God. And the expression of that same faith happens as we learn to treat others as if they belong to God too. And when we think about it, even our own God operates this way within God's own life. The Trinitarian God is by definition a God of relationship. Even the very inner life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit echoes this kind of beloved belonging. The second major insight from the study revealed how belonging naturally happens in a relationship, and it follows this pattern of being noticed and named and known. This isn't rocket science, of course. It's just as we think it would be, Let's say we're walking our dogs in our neighborhood and we notice that there's a new neighbor that we don't know before. We notice them and we say, oh, hey, you just moved into the house down the street, didn't you? Welcome. And we get to know their name. And maybe the next time that we see them as we're walking our dogs, we say, oh, hey, John, how's the unpacking going? We name them. And then maybe the third time we see them, we say, oh, hey, John, how are you? I heard you were going to visit your mom last weekend. How is she? We start to know something about them. As it happens, cultivating a sense of belonging is actually quite natural for us. Isn't that nice to know? This is not like hiking Mount Everest or doing something that's outside of the realm of our very human nature. It unfolds without much effort on our part because we're designed and made to connect with each other. So belonging isn't really about effort or figuring it out. It's not a formula. It's just about showing up and noticing. Begins with just paying attention. So the next few weeks we're going to be looking at stories in scripture and noticing the way that God notices and names and knows people. And today we begin with this unlikely story in scripture of Hagar. Hagar was the Egyptian handmaiden of Sarai, Abram's wife. And let's just go ahead and name that handmaiden can also be called servant or even slave And so we can probably guess that Hagar probably wasn't part of this family household by choice, and we do not have to be okay with that. (laughs) Her duties were to help Sarai personally around the house with domestic duties, but her role was about to change. And that's because, as you probably know, Sarai was struggling having a child and conceiving a child. And so she got impatient and came up with an idea. So she tells Abram, hey, why don't you take Hagar as your wife, and maybe she can bear a child on my behalf. And Abraham concedes to this plan, and Hagar does indeed become pregnant. We don't have to be okay with that either, but here's where the drama begins. Sarai feels like Hagar is looking down on her for this. She probably feels a little sensitive, and she probably feels a little tender about the fact that It was so easy for Hagar to get pregnant. And scripture says that, you know, for her part, Hagar didn't particularly seem to like Sarai either and looked on her with contempt. I don't know what else she was supposed to look on her with. (laughs) She was placed in a position where she wasn't asked for what she wanted. It seems like she has every right to be angry at this forced change in her role. The drama continues when Sarai decides to yell at Abram to fix this situation that was all her idea in the first place. And Abram says, she's your servant, you do with her what you want. And what Sarah wants, actually, is to just be rid of Hagar and send her far away. And actually, what Hagar wants is also to be far away, and so Hagar leaves. Pregnant to wander the desert for miles on end with no provisions. You're not going to find a commentary that takes Sarai's side in all of this. By all accounts, this isn't really faithful reflection of what God would want This is not living like we belong to each other, right? So we remember that scripture, of course, tells us how to be, and sometimes it teaches us how not to be. They're both very instructive. But here actually is where the story gets interesting. Because Hagar is met by an angel of the Lord. It's the first time an angel appears in the Holy Scripture. In this example, however, it's not actually an angel that shows up. It's sort of a grammatical way of saying that a manifestation of God that was able to be seen by a human happened to Hagar. And it's God who meets Hagar in the desert and says, Hagar, where are you coming from? And where are you going? And she replies, quite nonchalantly considering who she's talking with, She says, I'm running away from my mistress. And God tells her to return, but promises her that this is not the end of her story. She will indeed bear a child, and she is to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, because God hears her and has met her needs even here, out in this place of exile. And here we find our scripture verses for today. So Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roy, for she said, Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? God is El Roy, which can be translated as the God who sees, the God of seeing, the all-seeing God, the God who sees me. It's beyond physical sight, of course. It's not just, I've got eyes on Hagar, 12 o'clock. It's the kind of seeing that's also a kind of knowing. It's the kind of seeing that makes, me, makes us feel like we belong. We just spent five weeks talking about receiving that kind of seeing from God. The kind that beholds us in love as the beloved. Because if God was not the God who sees, how would we ever come to know that love? Just as our young people said, right? God notices Hagar. God addresses her by name. And God knows her, knows her and sees her pains and rightful concerns, her fears and her worries. Because this is what God does for us. Even when we're in exile, even when we're at the place in our story where things look bleak, God sees us fully knows us by name, meets our needs, and guides us where we need to go next when we've lost our way in the deserts of our lives. A Jewish commentary put it this way, God is a God who notices the oppressed, the needy, the marginalized, those of whom human society takes no notice. Sarai may have wanted to push Hagar to the margins, but God was having none of it. Hagar's going to go back into that household and be fully part of it, as with her son. And don't worry, spoiler alert, eventually Hagar does get her freedom. She gets kicked out again, too, because apparently Abraham and Sarah don't learn from this little lesson. But that's okay, grace for all of us. But after Ishmael is born, you may remember that when they cast them out a second time, God promises to make a great nation out of both of them. And God provides for them as they make their way outside of the oppression that met them in Abraham and Sarah's house. Sometimes it takes a while, but God intends freedom for all of us. But here's the really radical thing it's not only God who sees us, it's also us who see God. Hagar is the first and only person in all of scripture, to name God. And I believe that she holds that honor because she knows maybe more than most of us what it means to be seen. What else gives her the courage to persevere in a situation that had to feel so hard? I think it's because she returned to that house knowing that she belongs to God and also knowing that in some way beyond her understanding, God belong to her. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote, faith is the ability to live with delay without losing trust in the promise. It's to experience disappointment without losing hope. To know that the road between the real and the ideal is long and yet to be willing to undertake the journey. That's a lot, and it's really good, so I'm going to read it again. Faith is the ability to live with delay without losing trust in the promise. Faith is experiencing disappointment without losing hope. Faith is knowing that the road between the real and the ideal is long, and yet being willing to undertake the journey. It's not Abraham or Sarah who had this kind of faith in our scripture today. It's Hagar who has this faith despite how Abraham and Sarah have treated her. She lives with delay without losing trust in the promise that God gave her and her son. She experiences profound disappointment but doesn't lose hope. And she knows, you know, she knows. That the road between the real and the ideal is long, and yet she proves herself willing and ready to take that journey. So, the question for us is how do we become the people of this kind of faith? And I believe that the answer is when we know in our bones that God sees us and that we see God. It's the mutuality of this seeing that's the thing that grows this kind of radical trust. Hagar wondered if she could see God and still live. And what she realized, and what we must realize, is that it is by seeing God that we live. We talk a lot at church about God seeing us. And that's important. It's our home and our compass. But if we're truly to be a people of belonging, it also means we become the people who claim and proclaim and live as ones who see God. When we do that, just like our young friends taught us this morning, we feel love for God. We fall in love with God when we see God. Because when we see God, you see, we have a much clearer vision by which we see each other. And that, beloveds, is how we watch this anatomy of belonging, this noticing and naming and knowing unfold. So may we trust this week that we are indeed God's beloved, that when God looks upon us, God knows us by name and looks on us with unshakable love. And may we also trust that God has given us eyes to see God right back, to name God even, and to allow that togetherness, that mutual belonging of this safe and trusting relationship, to give us the eyes to see the world the way God sees the world. May it be so. Amen.